1: From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, and today for Mina Kim. Across the U.S., migrant children are employed in violation of child labor laws. A New York Times investigation details the dangerous conditions they're working in, and Congress is reacting.
3: Stories of kids dropping out of school, collapsing from exhaustion, and even losing limbs to machinery. These are the things that one might expect to find in a Charles Dickens or Upton Sinclair novel, but not an account of everyday life in America in 2023.
1: Reporter Hannah Dreyer joins us to talk about this new economy of exploitation, right after the news. Welcome to Forum, I'm Scott Schaefer, and today for Mina Kim. We'll try to imagine a child saying this to you. I'd like to go to school, but then how would I pay rent? Well, that's what 13-year-old Jose Vasquez told New York Times reporter Hannah Dreyer. Jose works 12-hour shifts, six days a week at a commercial egg farm in Michigan, and he's one of the migrant children working across the U.S. for companies like Whole Foods, J. Crew, General Mills, and Ben and & Jerry's Ice Cream, to name just a few. Reporter Hannah Dreyer spoke with many of them as part of a recent New York Times investigation into the explosion of illegal child labor in the U.S., and she joins us now. Hannah Dreyer, welcome to Forum.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: I want to ask you specifically about Jose in a moment, but first give us the the big picture. What did you and your colleagues at the New York Times find in the course of this investigation?
2: What we found is really a migrant child labor scandal in America. I talked to more than a 100 children all across the country who are working jobs banned by child labor laws. The reporting shows that there are thousands, probably tens of thousands of kids who've come across the border alone and are now working some of the most punishing jobs in this country. And it's happening all throughout the supply chain. We found these kids working for brands that make, for companies that make fruit of the loom, supply of parts to Ford and General Motors, and work in a plant that packs Cheerios.
1: You describe those jobs as punishing. Uh, Give an example.
2: I mean, child labor laws exist to keep kids physically safe. So when there's a job that a child is not allowed to do, that pretty much always means that it's a dangerous job. And what we found is that children are working in meat processing plants, cleaning head splitters cleaning some of the most dangerous machinery that sometimes turns on all of a sudden and and mangles their limbs they're working at the top of four and five story buildings sometimes they fall off when they're on a roofing job and shatter their spines or die even and they're working with industrial machinery like commercial ovens and conveyor belts that again are very dangerous and can slice off their fingers or or burn them
1: And these are, as you said, unaccompanied minors, but they're not here illegally, are they?
2: Exactly. They are here seeking legal status. So they haven't come across the border and never been encountered and are now living these subterranean lives. They're here in the process of applying for asylum generally. And as they go through that process, they're allowed to stay in this country they're even allowed to work legally if they apply for work permits but most of them don't have lawyers so never get to that step of the process
1: hmm. um, yeah well tell us about Jose who we I mentioned uh, at the very beginning there uh, tell us about him what where he where he works how you met him and what he told you
2: Jose came up like a lot of these children from Guatemala He wanted to come to the United States because during the pandemic, life got very hard in his village. There wasn't enough to eat. There often wasn't running water or electricity. And really the only people who were making it through were living off of remittances sent by relatives who were in the the United States. So he decided to come up. He came up with strangers. They ended up going to Grand Rapids, Michigan. So that's where he landed And once he was there, he found that life is very expensive in this country. He suddenly had to pay rent. He had to buy his own food. And so he got a job at an egg farm. And he's been working 12-hour days processing eggs. Basically, he stands by a machine and packs them. And then they go to regional supermarkets. He told me that he had never imagined his life would be like this. He sort of thought he would be in school and work part-time, just like he did in Guatemala but instead he's in this really brutal situation.
1: And to what extent is somebody like Jose like the only child working in a facility like that as opposed to, you know, having several and maybe maybe even friends, you know, from the same school who work in the same place?
2: Yeah, none of the children in this story were an isolated case. They all are working with other people who also work in the same factory or at the same plant. Jose works for an egg farm that is known for having children. Um, I actually found him because one of the supervisors there was complaining to me that the hiring standards have really changed. And now he's an adult supervising 13-year-olds, and it it feels wrong to him. Hmm. And, yeah.
1: No, no, please finish.
2: I mean, that's one thing that, that was so striking to me, talking to adults, is people know this is happening. This is an open secret, and I mean really barely a secret. Because yeah. you can tell when you're looking at somebody if they're 13 or 18.
1: Although, as you write, sometimes they go to you know <laughs> some lengths to try to disguise their age.
2: That is also true. A lot of these kids are working with fake papers. So they'll come here and the person who has sponsored them or maybe another friend from their eighth grade class will take them to a person who, for a couple hundred dollars, will give them something that looks essentially like a fake ID. Now this idea is not going to stand up if anybody checks it rigorously. Um, you can pay thousands of dollars for something that might be a little more convincing. Then with these IDs, they're able to get jobs and people who work at the staffing agencies where they're usually taking these IDs have told us, yeah, we know that these kids are really younger than they say, but what are we going to do? You know, they need workers at the places that we're supplying labor and the kids want to work. So so we take these fake papers.
1: And why do they feel compelled to work? Is it economic necessity? I mean, do they have is that part of the deal or is that part of why they're here to send money back to their families back home? I mean, where you mentioned also they're paying for fake ID. So there, there are people along the line exploiting these young folks.
2: Yeah, people at every step of this process are exploiting these young people. And when I say they want to work, it's a tricky thing when you're talking about children. There's a lot of people who would argue that a child can never really consent to work in one of these illegal jobs. Um, But some of the kids have come up here and they feel a lot of pressure to send money back to their parents. Their parents in past years would have come themselves and sent money back to their children. But because of the way... Immigration laws have changed, their parents now can't get past the border, and only the children can. So there's sort of been a reversal there. But in many cases, these children are really in debt bondage. They're living with adults who say, you owe me $10,000, you can't leave my house, you can't move out and live a different kind of life until you pay me back. And so they're essentially forced to work, at least until they pay back these debts.
1: Well, who are these adults? I mean, if you have responsibility for, you know, multiple kids and you're applying to sponsor another one, doesn't that raise red flags? I mean, who are they? They're not relatives, are they, in many cases?
2: So in some cases, these are total strangers. In some cases, they're family friends. I talk to a lot of adults who are sort of in business now, sponsoring neighbors from the village. And they'll take a small fee in exchange for telling the government that they'll receive one of these kids. And then some of them are closer relatives. Sometimes they're distant cousins. Sometimes they're older siblings. There's a lot of aunts and uncles. In many cases, they've never met their niece or nephew. And they'll agree to let them come stay. But when the kid comes, it's a very complicated situation because the adult often doesn't want to take any kind of real responsibility. So kids will be living with somebody who is technically a relative, but for, you know, really they're, they're on their own.
1: So you're just joining us. We're talking about a new New York Times investigation that found across the U.S. migrant children, and some as young as 12, 13, are employed in violation of child labor laws. And we're talking with the investigation's author, Hannah Dreyer, a reporter on the investigation's team at the New York Times. Um, Hannah, tell us a little bit more about these organizations that link these kids up with jobs. Are, are these nonprofits? Are they government organizations?
2: The kids are really finding these jobs on their own. Um, when I started this reporting, I wondered if there might be smuggling networks that were going down to Central America and sort of luring these kids up to work specific jobs. And we did find some cases of that, that absolutely is happening, but it's not the norm. In most cases, we're looking at companies that can't find workers that are struggling to fill the night shift at places where nobody wants to work like you know, a chicken plant this midnight shift at an auto part manufacturer and the kids are taking what jobs they can get. They can't work at a fast food chain or a grocery store because they don't have papers. And there's no reason those places would take kids working with fake papers. So they sort of just end up at the very bottom of the hierarchy of, of workers. They're the most disempowered workers out there right now.
1: And I, I, you know, this is, been going on for a while, but it has, as you report, exploded in the past you know, few years. What's going on that has led to that?
2: A lot of what's happened is a shift in immigration patterns. So kids have always come across the border alone. Um, back in 2008, we would see maybe a couple thousand of these children cross every year. And the government would almost always release them to live with parents who had usually paid a smuggler to bring them up. They were really just reuniting these kids with their parents. And that has really shifted. Now a minority of these kids go to their parents. Most are sort of in this other situation, going to people who might not really want to take on the the duty of having a child. We're seeing more of these kids coming across than ever before, 300,000 just since 2021. And what caseworkers who work with these children have told us is they estimate about 60 percent of that 300,000 are ending up in this kind of labor exploitation. Hmm.
1: There have been a number of changes both under the Trump and Biden administrations in terms of the, you know, tightening up the restrictions on adults who tried to get asylum in the U.S. To what extent have those tougher rules uh, affected the number of unaccompanied minors coming over?
2: I mean, this is now we're getting into immigration policy, which is somewhat above my pay grade. But the people who really work on this would say that those things are directly related, that when you close the border to families and adults that let in minors, word gets around about that. And what I can tell you is that in these really remote villages, parts of Honduras and Guatemala, that you can't even get cell phone reception. I've talked to minors who are telling me, oh, yeah, you know, I'm thinking about whether or not to go to America before I turn 18. Mm. And they'll sort of just have these very frank conversations because everybody knows that's where we're at right now with the border.
1: Yeah. All right. We're going to continue this very important conversation with Hannah Dreyer, reporter on the investigations team at The New York Times about all the migrant children employed in violation of labor law across the country. What do you think about what you're hearing? What questions do you have? What do you think should be done about it? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or we're at KQED Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Lots more to come.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera,
1: welcome back to forum i'm scott schaefer here today from mina kim we're talking about migrant children who are routinely employed in violation of u.s labor laws many of them as young as 12 13 14 years old talking with hannah dreyer she's a reporter on the investigations team with the new york times and we want to hear from you of course 866-733-6786 is the number to call again it's 866-733-6786 and Hannah, you know, there are many, many levels uh, of responsibility for this. Uh, you know, where are the adults in the room? But you uncovered a video that was leaked uh, of Javier Becerra, uh, who is known well here in California, our former attorney general. He's now HHS secretary. And this is a little clip from a staff meeting last summer that you obtained where he's talking about, uh, the, you know, moving these young people out of government shelters.
0: If Henry Ford had seen this in his plan, he would have never become famous and rich. This is not the way you do an assembly line. And if kids aren't widgets. I get it. But we could do far better than this.
1: Hannah, of course, that's not the entire clip. Uh, but give us some context for that comment. And why is he so focused on getting the, these young people out of government shelters?
2: This really comes back to something that happened in 2021, right after Biden took office there was a huge wave of children who suddenly started coming across the border and there wasn't enough capacity in these government shelters that usually process those kids to deal with them all and so they started sort of piling up at these CBP jails. People probably saw pictures of them sleeping on the floor, kids under those tinfoil blankets and it was a political crisis and the response was to try to start moving these kids out of government custody more quickly. So the government has to assess every sponsor who comes forward to take one of these children. And that process was taking sometimes a couple of weeks, sometimes a couple of months. Back in 2021, they started trying to get kids released in a matter of days sometimes. And it was huge pressure on people who work with these kids to release them. And a lot of people at Health and Human Services, which does that work, told me they felt like they were making unsafe releases, like they were under pressure to get discharges up and they were sending kids to people who were going to exploit them. Staff were telling me, we hear this from Becerra all the time. He says, why doesn't this work like an assembly line? Why can't this be like Henry Ford? And frankly, I was very skeptical until somebody shared that video with me. And I mean, this, from what we're told, is not the only instance where Becerra has said something like this to senior staff.
1: Well, invoking the name Henry Ford has its own ironies given his history, you know, as I think yeah. an anti Semitic and uh, racist, but let's not go there. Uh, what about the Department of Labor? I mean, who was who, who responsible for making sure that these child labor laws are
0: enforced?
2: It's really only the Department of Labor. They're the only ones in this country who can go out and find a company or punish a company for employing children and pull the children out of there. But they've been very short-staffed inspectors tell me that mostly they're sort of responding to tips. They don't often get to launch a proactive investigation just because of time constraints. What, oh, and children, I would say they're
1: responding to tips. Is that what you said?
2: Yeah. 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 Okay. They're responding to complaints from workers. Like my boss underpaid me, please come investigate him. Hmm. And migrant children are just never going to put in a tip like that for, you know, all the reasons we've been talking about.
1: What I will I- say. Yeah. yeah. Go, no, no, go ahead.
2: I mean, in fairness, Two days after we ran this story, the Department of Labor made a raft of changes. And that's one of them. So we talk in the story about this problem where they're not launching their own investigations. That as of Monday should be changed.
1: Well, I mean, that's because of the reporting you did, right? It's not because they suddenly had and they were suddenly enlightened in some other way.
2: I mean, it's what you hope for when you (laughs) when you put out an investigative report like this um but i i do want to give the white house credit what we've been told is we ran this story out on saturday by that afternoon everybody who makes these decisions was working together and by sunday biden was signing off on these and, and other reforms um which is pretty quick even you know for a for a big newspaper investigation
1: Well, Congress is also reacting to uh, this reporting, and I want to play a clip of Representative Hillary Schulton. She's a Democrat from Michigan on the House floor. This is on Monday.
3: As soon as I read this story, I immediately picked up the phone and started demanding answers and action. I called the White House, HHS and DOL. This is a multi-level, multi-system failure that created the shadows where these children can be exploited. And we need a multi-level, multi-system approach to fix it. I've called on the administration to create an interagency task force to ensure, ensure that this kind of child exploitation cannot happen in the United States.
1: Hannah, to what extent is this a bipartisan issue? I mean, she's a Democrat. Uh, Some of these policies came from Trump. Biden continued some of them. Is there any sense that this is something, I mean, what could possibly be more bipartisan than not wanting children to work under these kinds of conditions?
2: Some of this absolutely has been bipartisan, and we haven't um, written stories on everything yet that's happened just in the last two days, but this has come up at congressional hearings. This is, the story has been read out on the Senate floor. I mean, it's not just Republicans who are jumping on this. And I think at this point, there's a lot of agreement that things need to change with the Department of Labor and things already have been changed. And from what I can tell, real ways that will have an impact. What gets thornier is the health and human services question. And there we're seeing a lot of Republicans sending letters, making calls for reform. And Democrats so far have been pretty quiet on that. I mean, immigration is just the most polarizing issue.
1: Yeah. Uh, We have some listener comments here. Um, One writes, what happens to employers who hire these young people? Hannah?
2: Not a lot. Um, In the worst case, they'll be fined the maximum penalty for a child labor violation, and that is actually $15,000. So when you're talking about a company like... You know some of the places where the plants where we found these kids working, like JBS, the world's largest meat processor, some of these large auto suppliers. I mean, it's a find that they make back in an hour much, much less than that. And there are very rarely criminal
1: penalties. Yeah. I'm going to give out the phone number again and go to calls in a second. It's 866-733-6786. Another listener asks, please tell us which companies are doing this to stop so we stop buying from them. I mean, I mentioned some of them at the top, uh, but these are are huge companies, right? Like Pepsi and Whole Foods, Ben & Jerry's, uh, General Mills.
2: They're just the biggest companies that we have. Yeah, those huge food suppliers that you mentioned Um, day crew ford and and general motors yeah ben and jerry's which ben and jerry's response to us was actually surprising to me most of these companies said that they wouldn't tolerate children anywhere in their supply chain and we're looking into this Mm -hmm. and ben and jerry's came back and said actually we think that if children are going to work they should work at a farm that's well monitored and Ben & Jerry's does have a system in place to ensure that some basic labor standards are met. The companies say that they are, you know, shocked and appalled to find this out and are going to do their own investigations, and we're going to be keeping track of what happens there.
4: Yeah,
1: shocked to learn of gambling in Casablanca. All right, let's go to the phones, and again, the number is 866-733-6786, and we're going to start with Ben in Albany. Welcome.
5: Hi, and I just want to... um, compliment uh, Hannah on just uh, a terrific uh, investigative piece of journalism uh, uncovering what a truly horrible condition and but I wanted to point out that these are really what's happening to these kids are really symptoms of um, larger problems in our labor market affecting all workers including you know workers who um, you know are we're already here and working legally I mean the states where these are taking where this is taking place have very low minimum wages it's not surprising that these employers um are having problems getting uh, adults to do these jobs they're right to work states so it's not surprising um that you know workers are being abused because they don't have unions and the companies that are actually direct employers this is all outsourcing mm-hmm. you know general mills and these other companies are not have outsourced this production to these Smaller fly-by-night companies—they're not the, the employers aren't the ones whose names go on the products.
1: Yeah, and
5: and and that's the and these are symptoms in our broader labor market. And you know, the Department of Labor. I think we've got uh, Julie Sue, who was our labor commissioner here in California, coming into the job. She did a really good job on uh, cracking down on wage and hour problems when she was here, and I'm I'm hopeful that she'll be able to. Uh, attack this issue as well, but it's yeah,
1: a, ben, it's a much
5: bigger problem than just child labor.
1: Thanks. Yeah, Ben, thanks so much for all those comments. And yeah, Julie, Sue assuming she gets confirmed by the Senate, we'll have the AG and the head of uh, the Department of Labor from California. We'll see how that works out. But Hannah, what about uh, his point that uh, these are all these young people are working in, in right to work states where unions are not prevalent? Because I mean, Michigan is not one of those states.
2: I was so surprised about the role of unions in all of this. So this was a a 10-month project, and it was a lot of trial and error. And one of my first stops was going to unions and asking if they'd been seeing this. And they actually told me no, and I was confused because I was hearing from social workers and federal investigators and immigration lawyers that these kids were working everywhere. But I eventually found kids, in some instances, working on the night shift, at the same places where unions had said kids really aren't here. I think a lot of what's going on there is these kids are coming in through staffing agencies. So they don't technically work for the company, for example, that makes Chewy Bars. They are making Chewy Bars, but their employer is this third-party staffing agency. So they're not covered by all the union protections that the rest of the people in that plant, the adults in that plant are covered by. Hmm.
1: We're talking about a New York Times investigation that uh, found across the U.S. migrant kids employed in violation of child labor laws. Uh, we're talking with the investigation's author, Hannah Dreyer, reporter on the investigation's team at the New York Times. And we want to hear from you. What are, you, what are your thoughts about this outrageous uh, situation? What are your questions? And I'm wondering if you've heard about this. In your community, or maybe even through your church or where you work, uh, and what do you think should be done about it? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or you can email your questions and comments to forum at kqed.org. You'll find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, if you if you like. Um, what I'm wondering, Hannah, you mentioned unions. Um, are th- How concerned about this were uh, unions. I mean, do they obviously these young people may not may not be mostly working in union shops, but do they, as as folks who care about workers, you know, what's their response that you're getting?
2: I think the role of worker advocates has been so interesting and complicated here because they don't, as far as I can tell, tend to focus on age. So there are some workers' rights groups um, like We Count in Florida and Milk with Dignity in Vermont that are doing great work with workers to make sure that they can push back against wage theft, that they know their safety rights on a workplace. And they are some of the groups that helped me connect to some of the kids who are in this story. But from the perspective of these late, these workers' rights groups, it's not really about the ages of the kids. It's about advocating for workers across the board. So one of these groups in Florida connected me to a 12 year old roofer and didn't really know his age. I I found that out by looking through his immigration paperwork because from the perspective of the organization, it's another worker who needs to be protected because you know he's working whether or not he should be.
4: Mm.
1: Well, and, you know, the earlier caller alluded to this. I mean, and this is true not just of children, but of people who aren't who don't aren't here with papers or, uh, you know, maybe don't speak English. There's all kinds of folks who are exploited in the workplace. But I would think, you know, these young people are not going to, given what's at stake for them and their safety and their families back home, they're not going to speak up. They're not going to say, hey, I didn't get paid or uh, this employer owes me this or that, or I didn't get paid for overtime. I mean, They're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old.
2: Absolutely. I mean, they're not going to be the ones advocating for their own rights within a workplace. I'm surprised how many of them spoke to me for this story. And I think that had a lot more to do with wanting to get the message back to their home countries about what it's really like if you come up here.
1: Hmm.
2: But it's hard to imagine them speaking to officials.
1: Yeah. How did you gain their trust? Because obviously there's a lot potentially for them to lose? I mean, you have photos, many are in sort of in the shadows where their faces aren't shown in the New York Times article, but some are, Uh, you know, are they concerned or are you concerned as a reporter that there could be some retaliation or consequences for these young folks for having spoken to you?
4: Oh,
2: of course. I mean, as a reporter, that's the most important thing to think about. And it's very sensitive and honestly stressful working with populations that are this vulnerable I can tell you that we talked to more than 100 kids who were in different forms of labor exploitation, and I think there's only maybe seven who were named or photographed, and those are not the worst cases. Those Mm -hmm. are sort of the more typical cases, the more middle-of-the-road cases where the sponsors and the parents were able to give us their consent as well. Mm -hmm. The kids who are really in a trafficking situation, I mean, we're not going to knock on the door of the adult they live with and ask if they'd like to speak to the New York Times. So a lot of kids are just not named in the story.
1: Yeah. All right. We're gonna to go to the phones and again we would love to hear from you. What are your thoughts about this situation that Hannah is describing and that is reported in the New York Times, eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. And we're gonna go now to Oakland and Sue, you're next. Welcome. Sue, are you there? Well, I don't think Sue is there. Um, let me just ask, uh, Hannah, what role is there for the schools? Uh, because, uh, you know, in your reporting, teachers and others within school districts, these kids fall asleep. They drop out. They leave, you know, at 3 o'clock and go work a 12-hour shift. Um, you know, what role, what responsibility do you think they have? And what are they doing in some cases? Are, I mean, how do you help someone in a situation like that? What's the right thing to do?
2: It's totally unclear. And every teacher I talked to sort of had come up with their own solution. One thing a lot of the teachers told me is that they're not mandated reporters for if a child is working in illegal conditions. That's not as they see it, sort of part of the exploitation that they must report. And a lot of teachers have made the calculation that it's better to be a trusted adult in these kids' lives than to essentially tell on them to an official. But it's something that I think these teachers are wrestling with. They're some of the most likely people to encounter these kids. And the ones I talked to just seemed very sad for them and sort of at a loss about what to do to help them.
1: Hmm. Is there any, I don't know, I don't know if say truth is the right, but was there anything to the argument that somebody in the article made, which was that they were afraid that, you know, somehow reporting or turning in the employer uh, getting the children out of these situations uh, many you know many of whom this is how they're sending money back to their families who are desperately poor in many most cases you know is there any truth to that you know that these you know young people I don't even know how to say this right but you know that they that they don't want to be rescued from these situations or they can't afford to be they have to be doing what they're doing because of the situation they're in
2: yes this is a hr manager at a chicken plant who says that she'll find herself interviewing a 12 year old and she feels ambivalent because she worries that if the kid can't work in her chicken plant which is completely illegal he'll end up doing something that's even more exploitative and what the experts tell me about this is really these kids should just have work permits. It's not that they can't work. You know, I worked when I was a teenager. I'm sure a lot of people listening I did. did. <laughs> it's right. I, it's it's a normal thing. Studies yeah. even say it's a good thing to work. Some. Yeah.
1: Hannah, I'm going to stop you there because we have to take another break. Don't go away. Hannah Dreyer, right. uh, with the investigations team at the New York Times, reporting on these underage migrant children working in dangerous. Uh, jobs. Uh, just no other way to say it. Uh, give us a call if you want to join us. It's 866 6786 733 6786 Join us for this. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour for Mina Kim. We're talking with Hannah Dreyer from The New York Times about her investigation into migrant children who are routinely employed in violation of U.S. labor laws. Give us a call if you want to join us at 866-733-6786. And just before the break, Hannah, we were talking about uh, having worked as teenagers, you did, I did, many, uh, many people did. But let's, you know, remind our listeners, you know, why what you're reporting on is different, you know, from delivering newspapers or working in a Dairy Queen like I did.
2: It's just a different kind of work. What we're focusing on here is work that violates child labor laws. And that really goes back to work that is too dangerous for a child to do. So what advocates hope for is that there would be some kind of push to get at least the most basic legal services for these kids who are coming across the border so that they apply for a work permit. If they applied, in most cases, they would get a work permit. They're here with a sort of ambiguous legal status. But instead, they end up in just the war. You know, they can't work for Dairy Queen. They can't even work. In sort of a a middle phase job, they end up in the very worst jobs there are, and they would much rather work for Walmart. You know, work for Walmart as a as a cashier instead of making the things that are in Walmart supply chains in these sort of industrial conditions. Yeah. It's just that they can't get those jobs without real papers.
1: Yeah, um, here's a comment from Noel who tweets: "How can this happen after a century of anti-child labor laws? It seems there are enough adults ready to work, or are wages so low the parents need to get income from the kids' work? Late stage capitalism failure. And you know, Hannah, there's a lot of things there. There, there, there is uh, worker shortages in many parts of the supply chain. Um, to what extent does that play into this?" You know, this situation where young people who shouldn't be working are getting hired.
2: That's a great point. And I think it's absolutely related. I talked to one car part supplier in Michigan that supplies parts to Ford and General Motors. And what they told me was that they were really struggling to find workers for the night shift. And because they couldn't find those workers in the last couple of years, they've turned more and more to a staffing agency where the standards just aren't the same but it's not that there's sort of a line of other workers who are ready to take these jobs.
1: We also have a a question from Caroline. Um, How can we help these kids? Are there organizations we can volunteer for or donate to?
2: It's a very hard question because these kids are not connected to resources. They're hard to reach. They don't have lawyers. They're not sort of in the mainstream immigration organization pipeline. There are those organizations that are working with them, um, We Count in Florida and Milk with Justice in New England, who are trying to improve working conditions and make sure that the kids aren't so isolated. But it's a question that we've been hearing a lot, and it just goes to how totally lost in the system a lot of these children are.
1: Hmm. Uh, Let's go to the phones and hear what uh, Dan in Castro Valley has to say. Dan, welcome to Forum.
5: Hi there. Um, So I'm a renter uh, in Castor Valley and my
1: landlord has a a gardener and and the gardener employs a son who who can't be over 12 years old. And I know this kid should be in school. Um, And I know this isn't on the scale of what we've been talking about, but Mm. um, I'm just wondering what 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 I could do. Yeah. Uh, Hannah, any thoughts about that? I mean, it sounds like I mean, obviously working for your dad is different from working for some multinational corporation, you know, deboning chicken. But nonetheless.
2: I think that the question of whether these kids are in school is a really important one. Some people who I've talked to have managed to intervene in these kids' lives and at least help them enroll in night school or extension programs. Legally, you know, really young kids have to be enrolled in school, but those laws aren't always enforced. And it's sort of an open question of whether they should even be enforced. Like how do you, like, who do you sort of put in jail in a situation like that? Not the kid, but it's, it's a hard
1: one. Yeah, Dan, have you spoken to the the, the young guy?
5: No, I, I haven't. It's usually um, a little bit after I, I, I leave from work, but but sometimes I see them. Yeah, you know, sitting in the car with work. You
1: know, so I, I mean, and I, I could see you know somebody like Dan, well intentioned, but uh, you know, kind of getting in, into something that really you know there may be unforeseen consequences of trying to be helpful.
2: I think it's also very hard because. Kids who are working like this are looking for people who might be immigration officials or labor officials. And even for me, it was really a process of convincing people I was talking to that I wasn't a secret federal investigator. I don't know how you do that, approaching somebody in a sort of informal context like that.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's go back to the phones again. The number to call, 866-733-6786. And let's go to Campbell and Rosemary. You're next. Welcome.
4: Hello. Um,
5: Thank you for taking my call. Hannah, I'm interested in to what extent did you encounter children who were really trafficked?
2: Well, there's an ongoing discussion about what is labor trafficking and can a child consent if they're under pressure from an adult or if they live with an adult and the adult says you have to go do this wordworking working job overnight or you have to go clean this hotel room now. Is that child consenting? Um, Trafficking really comes back to force, fraud and coercion. And I often was encountering children who I think and they thought had been defrauded, adults who had said, come up here, I'll support you, you'll go to school. And in one case of a kid I talked to who was in Los Angeles, he came up and instead his sponsor said, well, actually, you'll have to be paying me back for your debt for the first year, so I found you a landscaping job. That, most people would argue, is pretty close to the legal definition of trafficking. Proving it in a court can be hard because these kids are very wary of testifying against their traffickers.
1: Hmm. They're, 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 they could certainly be at risk. I mean, serious risk.
2: Absolutely. And there have been, we found about 30 cases of adults who have been federally prosecuted for this. And there's sometimes really large trafficking rings. There was a case in Ohio where children from Guatemala were made to work at an egg farm. And the people who sponsored them lied, said that they were family. Really, they were strangers. And these children were living in just terrible conditions in a trailer park, not able to leave, not getting any of the money they were earning, and just living lives of basically indentured servitude. Mm.
1: Rosemary, thanks very much for the call. Um, Here's some other listener comments. Michael tweets, the big companies are shielded by using contractors. The Ford assembly line illusion that Becerra made was, Interesting because Henry Ford actually sent people to investigate how workers and their families were living. Another listener writes, a disgrace that there are virtually no consequences for the employers exploiting these children while the politicians wring their hands in dismay but do little or nothing to fix the immigration system. They prefer to blame the immigrants. Immigration reform is long overdue, but politicians, especially on the right, prefer to maintain the status quo because they can rile up the base come election time with immigration reform. Scare stories. I would argue both parties do that. Uh, but uh, the point is well taken. Um, what would make a difference, Hannah? Both, you know, we, we heard that clip from the congresswoman from Michigan uh, making phone calls to the Department of Labor and the White House. What could Congress do? What kind of regulations are needed? I mean, is this something that is, you know, you know, turning around the Titanic or is it something that could be done relatively quickly with the, the right focus and resources?
2: Yeah, I mean, thinking back to the caller who was wondering how he could help a child that he's seeing in his own community, this strikes me as one of those issues where it's very hard to figure out how to help people directly, because it's almost all policy issues here. And there is a lot of energy right now on Capitol Hill. People are talking seriously about making changes like increasing the penalties for child labor and also making it a criminal penalty. Today, some lawmakers, I thought this was interesting, have been talking about looking up in the supply chain. So right now, these investigations mostly stop at the staffing company or sometimes the supplier. But there's no reason why they couldn't go all the way up the supply chain. And that's something people are talking seriously about. And on the immigration side of this, there have also been calls to make sure that every child who comes in through this legal system gets a lawyer, at least to do those sort of basic first steps. That's something that a lot of advocacy groups have wanted, and we're hearing some interest among lawmakers.
1: All right, let's go next to uh, Henry in Berkeley. Welcome.
5: Uh, Hello. (laughs) Uh, It's funny. You guys were just actually talking about what my question was, which was like, yeah, what is the kind of criminal penalties that can go to the people exploiting these kids? Like systemically, it just sounds just so awful. You want to feel like this. Our our system could punish this in some way.
1: Yeah. Hannah.
2: I mean, criminal penalties like the fines are, are so minimal, um, $15,000, you'd really have to be a very, very small company for that to make a huge difference. There's a lot of interest in changing this and in imposing some criminal penalties. The Department of Labor said on Monday that it was going to go to Congress and actively ask for some legislative changes here. And what we're hearing from both sides of the aisle is that there is interest in making that change.
1: Yeah. Henry, thanks for the call. Um, you know, going back to Becerra, uh, Javier Becerra, and that clip of him saying, can't we do this faster? Can't we get them out of these shelters, these the detention more quickly? Um, it does seem like the numbers have fallen uh, since the Biden administration took over. But are you saying is that your impression from your article and your reporting that they're moving too fast, you know, that uh, maybe there were too many in, in detention? Maybe there still are, but you they're, they're moving too fast and getting them out too quickly without proper vetting.
2: It's a really complicated issue. But what we're seeing is more children crossing the border every year for the past two years. And everybody expects to have another surge this summer. So there's nothing you can do really to control the flow of children who are coming here. That's very much about country conditions back in Central America. But what This administration has been doing is making changes to try to get those children released faster so that they spend less time in government custody and there's less of a chance that children will start getting backed up at these jails that a different agency runs before they could be transferred into the shelters, which are much more suitable for children. And people within the agency are very worried that kids are being sent out to sponsors before those sponsors can really be vetted. So they may be sent out to people who are intending to exploit them, who aren't really who they say they are, who can't really be trusted with a child.
1: Hmm. And whose responsibility is it to vet those sponsors?
2: That is Health and Human Services.
1: Yeah. So obviously they have a lot on their plate. I mean, we're just coming out of the COVID pandemic and everything else, but nonetheless, I mean, obviously this uh, this is something that I think everyone can agree ought to be a priority. You're listening to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer in for Mina Kim. Here's another uh, listener comment. The issue comes down to the same thing. It always does. Greed, the government, should be making the fines and penalties so extreme that companies will find it to their advantage economically to comply with laws, maybe even send some company presidents and their enablers in the company to jail. Uh, no doubt that would uh, they would win their cases with a fine and a slap on the wrist, but the company gets negative publicity which will have an economic impact on the company. Um, I'm wondering uh, if you have anything. I know we we said you said earlier you're not an immigration reporter, obviously. But I'm wondering, is there anything that could be done in the home countries? You know, like Guatemala, Honduras, that is being done. You know, helping with economic development or other things that are leading to so many people, kid, young people, coming uh, without their parents.
2: I mean, every administration has tried to do that. I think, you know, much smarter minds than mine have really thought about that and put in place different policies, tried different initiatives. But the truth is more and more kids are coming despite what have been some real efforts to improve those conditions. And part of that has to do with crime and corruption and also climate change. A lot of these people who are coming grew up in farming families and their crops have now dried up or failed. But another thing that I, you know, think it's important to think about is people in those home countries know that they can come to the United States and work these jobs. It's hard to keep that kind of information from flowing back and forth. And so it's not only, you know, country conditions, which are important to address and hard. It's conditions in this country,
1: too. Hmm. I'm wondering, you know, you, you talk to, you know, scores of young people, 100 or so. Is, are there I mean, we mentioned, I think, um, you know, at the top, Jose, but are, are there others that stand out in your mind? You know, young people you'll you'll just never forget based on their stories or some something about them.
2: I mean, a caller was asking about trafficking. There's one child in Florida where I ended up getting thousands of pages of his text messages between him and his sponsor. This is a kid who came off a plane, arrived in Florida and his sponsor who was a stranger to him told him, well, you owe me $4,000 and you're gonna have to go find a place to live and a job and start paying me back. And in these text messages, You can see that this man is hounding this child for the money. He's saying, I don't care about you. I'm going to come by. Do you have $200 for me? You better. You mean nothing for me. And the child is writing back and he's saying, I don't speak this language. I don't know where to even find a job. Or later he's saying, I've been working until 3 a.m. I'm doing the best I can. And there's just so few resources out there for a kid who finds themselves trapped in a situation like that. I spoke to this child to escape that situation eventually. um, And he told me he thought that somebody would have come and checked on him. Some adult would have intervened. Hmm. And there just, there isn't much. And there are a lot of kids who are still in situations like that.
1: Hmm. I wonder, you know, the the young folks you talk to, and obviously they have came from different places and they're in different situations. It's not homogeneous by any means. But to what extent do you think they regret coming over?
2: I've wondered a lot about this. Um, I would ask the kids this sometimes, and what they usually told me was, it's really not what I imagined, and I try not to think about it. Hmm. I think when you're a child, you do make the decision to come, but if you're 12, 13, 14, it's really impossible for somebody that young to imagine what it's going to be like to take on all of these adult responsibilities. And once they're here, I think they really try not to think about things like that, because in a lot of ways, it's too late. They're in debt. They're yeah. here and, yeah. and they're living with it.
1: Well, and they may be too young to, or, you know, just too overwhelmed with everything else. But, you know, this people come here and have come here for centuries because it's supposedly a land of opportunity. I mean, do, do these um, kids feel that there is an opportunity for them if they can make it through the situation they're in now?
2: Some of these kids really have big dreams for themselves in the U.S. There's one girl who, Maria, who was working making Cheetos, and she was taking on overtime, working these crazy hours, seven days a week. I would see her sometimes at seven in the morning, and she would tell me she'd worked until three the night before because she just wanted to make a little more money to pay off her debt. And she really dreams of being a nurse. She says she came here because she couldn't afford to go to school in Central America, I've spoken with her teachers. They say she's one of the brightest students they have. But watching her sort of try to get through these classes, I really worried for her because she's just running on on no sleep, no energy. Mm. Um, it's a lot for for a minor to take on.
1: And what's the in general? And we're getting short on time here, but you know of their of their asylum applications. I mean, is there any hope that these things are going to be resolved anytime soon?
2: You know, a lot of these children actually do end up getting some kind of legal status. If not asylum, there's something else called special immigrant juvenile status for children who've been abandoned by their parents. And it's a question really of of lawyers. A lot of the kids I talked to who had lawyers had, you know, were well on their way to getting status, Mm -hmm. but not so many had lawyers. And so those kids are never going to get any kind of status in this country.
1: All right. Hannah Dreyer, a reporter on the investigations team at The New York Times. Check out her reporting. It is so important. She writes about uh, migrant children routinely employed in violation of U.S. labor laws. Hannah, thank you so much for this uh, important reporting.
2: Thank you for featuring it.
1: And thanks to all of our listeners for your calls and your comments. And for all of us here at KQED, and for Mina Kim, I'm Scott Schaefer.